grace. Hey guys, how you doing? Good to see you. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Was it really? Did you eat a lot of stuff? More than you were supposed to. Okay, so the, the question becomes, what did you eat? Turkey versus ham. We have some that are Thanksgiving is a turkey only. We have some that we do ham and turkey at Christmas. We have some that do both. So, how many had turkey? Did anybody have ham? Davis had ham. Shocking. Did anybody have both? Such gluttons. Such gluttons. All right. Here's a question. What is your favorite Thanksgiving side dish. Turn to your neighbor, quickly discuss. Okay, now, now turn to your neighbor and tell them, what is your least favorite side for Thanksgiving? Because we all have them. Well, we have a list of the top five, I forget where I got this poll, but it was the top five worst Thanksgiving sides. So let's take a look at it real fast. Worst Thanksgiving side dishes. We have number five, canned cranberry sauce. How many of you said that? Number four, wild rice stuffing. Anybody think that's the worst? Number three, green bean casserole. Now, all right. I got to tell you, you can ask anyone in my family, that is my favorite side dish. It's like this much turkey, this much sweet potatoes, this much green bean casserole. I, uh, I eat 90% of the green bean casserole. Number two, ambrosia salad. D does anybody have this? Does anybody know what it is? Okay, all right. And the number one, drum roll please. Candied sweet potatoes with marshmallows. What? Oh, Jamie informed me these are Yankees because these are all Southern food comforts. So, so here in Texas, we may have a different view, right? Because I think the sweet potatoes are very nice. My wife puts bacon in them. And it is true. Everything is better with bacon. So... We are in the middle of, um, actually, we're not in the middle. We are starting a new series. We are starting the season of Advent. This is one of my favorite seasons in the entire year. We are starting the season where I can get a peppermint hot chocolate at Starbucks, and people don't think less of me, and <laughs> unless I'm wearing a turkey costume, uh, but... I love this season. We're also starting a new series for the season, and it's called Unwrapping Christmas. And thank you to Riley for being our poster child today. So uh, if you see Riley, tell him good job. I told him to look like he just got a truck. Pretty good, huh? So, uh, so we're starting Advent, and in case you're not familiar with the term, Advent is simply the four weeks before 
Christmas, it is a time of preparation, of anticipation, of waiting. We, we anticipate the birth of Christ at Christmas. And it's a little different. We, we have to have a different mentality than, than the world has. You go, to a, you go to a store, and they are geared toward Christmas. They are geared toward commerce. They are geared toward, this is where I'm going to make half of my annual income, if you're a store, in these four weeks. They're geared towards one thing, but we're called to be geared towards a different thing. We're geared less external and more internal. It's a time for us to prepare ourselves, to take inventory of ourselves. It's a more internal thing for the Christian life. Are you with me? So Advent is a time where we can realign our lives to the things of God and the things that really matter. And so today's text, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when I started reading it a couple weeks ago, I was, to be honest, disappointed. I told Matt, I was like, this is the worst text ever to preach for Advent. But the more I got into it, the more I really started to enjoy what I was learning. And you would think the first Sunday of Advent, hope, um, we're probably going to hear something about a manger, maybe a baby or a star or peace or something that's going to give us warm fuzzies. However, today's passage appears to be nothing like that. And so I love the fact that we are starting off this Advent season with a twist right off the bat. So I'm going to read the passage. It's going to be up there. You're welcome to read along with me. Um, it's taken from Luke 21. Hear the words of the Lord. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming on earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let the day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Was that what you were expecting to hear today? That wasn't what I was expecting to talk about today when Matt asked me to preach. I expected warm fuzzies. I thought maybe we'd sing another carol and we'd all, you know, maybe hold hands, light some candles. I don't know. But this passage 
is, there's not a lot that's warm or fuzzy about it. It's disturbing. Um, It doesn't warm us. It warns us. It's not about his birth, which is what I expected. Actually, this passage is taking place right before the plot to have Jesus killed is put into motion. So, it's strange because I was expecting to talk about the first coming of Christ, his birth, but actually the passage is talking about the second coming of Christ. And so, what we need to do is we need to break this down a little bit. This passage is what many would call an apocalyptic passage, and what that means That's a big word that simply means we're talking about the end times. We're talking about when Christ returns. We're talking about when this world as we know it will end and life with God will transform everything. It's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. There are a lot of apocalyptic passages. Um, It was used by the prophets to help the listener remember and reimagine. Remember that God is with them and to reimagine life differently. Good example, Daniel. Daniel is speaking to his people in captivity, and his role is to help the people remember that they serve a God that is greater than the powers that are over them right now. He's called to help them reimagine life in a new way. He's called to inspire hope because What you see isn't what's really happening. That's Daniel's message. Because there is more going on than what your eyes can see. So, in a sense, today's reading really does fit with Advent because Daniel's a great example. But we also have, in this day, Jesus talking to what would be largely a Jewish group of people. And at this time, they've been in bondage to the Roman Empire for years. They've actually been under somebody else's thumb for hundreds of years. They've been waiting for this rescuer, for this Messiah, for someone to come and save them. And they may have begun begun to lose hope. And into this setting, Jesus speaks these words. Now, it's not the hope that I would have expected because I would have hoped that Jesus would say, I'm coming and I'm going to fix everything and we're going to take these Romans and... No. But it's hope nonetheless. See, okay, to, to understand the mindset, and I love my whiteboard. Don't you love my whiteboard? <laughs> Just to give you a, a quick... uh, snapshot of what the Jewish mind would have been. They would have had this mentality that life would eventually come back upon them. There's a Jewish Hebrew word that my wife told me not to tell you because she said it's boring and nobody wants to hear the Jewish word. (laughs) No, she didn't. I'm just kidding. Uh, But basically, it says this. Have you ever heard the passages in the Old Testament that talk about the day of visiting, the day the Lord will visit? Have you heard those? Abraham talks about there will be a day when the Lord will visit us. In the Jewish mindset, they believed that the life you live will come back upon you. So, if I do good, eventually what comes back upon me? If I do bad, eventually what comes back upon me? Good. 
Good, we're all trucking. And we kind of do the same thing, don't we? I mean, if I tell one of my girls, wait till your mom gets home, we know that what happened 10 minutes before I say that probably is going to determine if mommy getting home is going to be good or it's going to be bad because the way they act is going to come back upon them. I mean, we say that, right? And here's the thing. They believed that much of what happens is based on what they do. The way I live determines what comes back upon me. I don't get to choose what comes back upon me, but the way I live determines it. A lot of it is centered around what I do, which makes it easy to understand why when you have over 600 laws, the intensive desire to follow all of them, because I want to live a good life, because I want good to come back upon me, so they, they're bound to this, I've got to do good, I've got to do good, it's about me, because if I do good, if I do what God says, good will come back upon me. But today's message tells us there is something much bigger going on than what's happening in my life to me personally. And I love it because I was reading a book the other day, and they explained it so well. They said this. There are basically these cycles of God, these cycles in the life of God, I should say. We start with anticipation, and we progress to celebration. And from that, we go to proclamation. And let me explain. So we've got Advent. Advent, we, we anticipate the coming of the Christ child. We look forward, we hope for. Christmas Day, we celebrate that Jesus has come, right? And then we get to Epiphany, which is it's a holiday that we don't celebrate a lot, but basically if we're Western Christian world, would celebrate it as when the Magi proclaimed that Jesus was born. If you're Eastern Orthodox, you'd say it's the day that Jesus was presented at the temple. But either way, it's a proclaiming that this Jesus is the Messiah. So we have anticipation, celebration, proclamation. Right after Epiphany, we go into what's called Lent, which is where we anticipate and we prepare our hearts for Easter. Easter is when we celebrate that Jesus has risen from the dead, and he is Christos Victor. He is the victorious Christ. Then we move on towards Pentecost, which is where we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Are you with me? So we've got these cycles that are, that are going. It's a lot bigger than just what's going on with me. There are these cycles of God that are swirling around, and every year we realign our lives to this cycle that's going on. And these cycles bring hope. For Advent, it's the cycle of light. We say Jesus is the light of the world. We sang it about this morning. During Easter, oops, I don't want to say Lent, we have this cycle of life. And so we're constantly living in this, these cycles of light and life. And they bring hope. And Paul, when he's speaking in Romans, has a wonderful complimentary passage. So let me read for you Romans 5. 
Therefore, since we've been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Do you hear, do you hear the, the sounds of the Luke passage we heard? So when these things happen, stand and look, for your salvation is near. So Paul says, this is where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Do you hear Jesus' words in Luke? These end times, these problems that, we, that surround us. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with this love. So, both passages make it quite clear, whether we're in Luke with the words of Jesus or we're in Romans with the words of Paul. Trials are going to come. Problems are going to come. We are not exempt from them simply because we say that we are Christian. Are you with me? So we know that this is going to happen, but we're called to look. We're called to stand because our salvation is near. It makes me think of when Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We have a hope in the midst of our troubles, and when we put our hope in something that is bigger than just ourselves, our hope isn't grounded in our situation. Our hope is grounded in the eternal life of God. And so that gives us a hope that is something we can stand on. Now, the word hope in Romans is very much like the word that deals with the visitation of God in this sense. Both of them are neutral. They can be good or they can be bad. You do good, it's the same word. You do good, good comes back to you. You do bad, bad comes back to you. It depends on your context. The word that Paul uses for hope is very similar, but it is completely based not on you, but on the work of Jesus. And our hope, the word hope, is translated there positively because we trust in Jesus. The same word in a different passage, not referring to Jesus, could be translated the word fear. Isn't that interesting? Where we put our trust determines whether or not we have hope or fear. My wife is doing a Bible study on Wednesdays. There are two weeks left. Please, if you um, need something to do, this is a fabulous class uh, to go in. You won't be lost if you come this week. There are two weeks left. She's going through Romans 5, and she said uh, something that I love. She talked about the fact that both the definitions of hope and fear have one, thing in com- have one word in common, and that is anticipation. And so we are called to live in the state of God's anticipation 
And that brings hope. Even when our life may be falling apart, even when we feel burdened, we can live in hope because it's not based on us. It's based on this cycle of God. So, let's go back to the scripture. You know, it's easy to hear, you know, there's going to be signs in the suns and the moon and the stars. The nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas. It's easy to hear fear in that text if we base our lens of looking at that text through us or this world's situations. We're called instead to look at it through the lens of what Jesus is doing even at that moment when he's speaking those words. And when that happens, we don't have fear. These words aren't meant to scare us about what's going to happen in the end times and how we hope we all survive. These words are cause cause for anticipation for what God is doing because one day God will set all things right. One day God will come and he will fulfill his promise which is to bring salvation and this kingdom of God will come back and will be strong and will reign forever. So we don't have to look at this passage with fear because God is working. We can look at it with hope. Now the thing I love about Advent is um, we talk about the manger, which happened 2,000 years ago. We talk about Jesus living in our hearts today, and we talk about Jesus coming back. I love this whole, like, time thing. I'm a Star Wars fan, I admit. But the one thing that Star Trek really got right was this whole shifting of time thing where, you know, like, I'm here, but I'm really there, but I'm really back there. And uh, have you seen the movies in Star Trek? Probably not, because they're not as good as Star Wars. But if you've seen the movies with Star Trek, you'll see there are a lot of times where they're dealing with different times. And I'm on this time path, and there's a rip in the time wave, and so, and all that stuff. And I love that, because you almost get this sense of what, of that in this passage. See, the kingdom of God that's coming that brings hope is something that is going to happen eventually. God's word promised it. But it is also something that is happening right now. And I love how Jesus, Jesus gives such a great example. Look at the trees. Look at the fig tree. Look at any tree. Now, this example kind of falls short in Texas because we have two seasons in Texas. We have hot and hot and sticky. But if you were to live in a place that had multiple seasons, you've got this winter time where everything is barren and cold. And then spring comes, and all of a sudden, you start to see the trees bud. You start to notice, wow, the grass looks a little greener than it did last week. And I don't know about you, but when that happens, the first thing I do is I pull out my flip-flops, I pull out my shorts, and I get ready. It may still only be spring, but summer is coming. I know it's coming because even though it's still spring right now, I see summer coming. Summer is breaking into my life through spring. Does that make sense? And in the same way, this is what Jesus is saying is happening to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that is going to happen, but even now, can you see it breaking in? Can you see the hope that comes right now because of the future hope that we have? 
It, it's like you see it happening even while you're waiting for it. It's, it's this present reminder of this future reality. And I love it. I love it. it going back, one more lesson. Paul, Paul, when he's talking to the people, he understands um, in Romans that um, we have a similar mindset to the Jewish mentality of that day in the sense that time is, is linear. You know, you, you go through A to get to B, right? You, you don't skip around. You, there's a linear movement of time. You've got this age, and you've got this age to come. And what happens is, they, they would have thought, well, yeah, the resurrection is what changed it. And we were in this age, and all of a sudden, the cross happened, and we're heading toward this age to come. And so eventually, we'll get there. Eventually, if we wait long enough, it's going to happen. But Paul does something. It's so awesome. Woo. Sorry. Paul says, what if there's more to this time than just this linear thing? What if actually what's happening is the kingdom of God isn't even on this plane and it's breaking in to our time even now. And so we don't have to wait. We don't have to say eventually someday I'll get my crown. Eventually someday I'll be in heaven. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come, and that brings hope to us. It's this age of life that, that we have. And here's the thing I love. We wait for this kingdom of God to come, but we don't wait for this kingdom of God to begin. This kingdom of God is become. This kingdom has become the kingdom of our Lord. Handle did a pretty good job with that. We, even now, are coming forward to this kingdom of God, but this kingdom of God is not waiting for us to get there. It is breaking in to our present day. It is coming not to bring fear but to bring hope. Because when we understand what the kingdom of God means with God's justice and God's peace and this kingdom where he reigns, then even when we're facing the problems, even when we feel overwhelmed, we are not looking at the situation through our eyes. We're looking at it through the kingdom of God. And that gives us hope. Christian hope for the future is already based on God's already proven love in the past. I love that. God's love for us was proven in the past, which gives us a present hope and a future reality that is breaking in even now as we celebrate what happened in the past. <laughs> I love it. It's just like, what? But I love it because it really, it really tells us that you know, this God who we say 
is beyond time and beyond space and really is all in all. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. We don't have to worry about what's going on with our problems and our troubles. It doesn't minimalize them, but it means that we have a hope that's based in God, which is greater than anything we are facing. And it really comes down to how we view things. So I'm going to ask my friend Andrew, you going to come up? We're going to close this with an example. My friend Andrew, everybody give Andrew a hand. I didn't tell you I was going to do that. Andrew and I have something in common. We have a common love. Andrew, when I show you this picture, for, for those of you that were taking bets on over-unders or whether I would talk about Duke or Disney, <laughs> Disney won today. Andrew, what, what is this? Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. What, what does this represent to you? Fun. Where does it represent to you? Orlando. Orlando and Disney World. So we've got this, this picture of Mickey and all it represents. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Andrew my phone. I've got a 360 video and Nick's going to put it up on the screen so you can kind of see. And Andrew, it might be a little fuzzy because I kind of bootlegged this. I think it's legal. It didn't say it was copywritten, but Andrew, you ready? <laughs> wow. We're going to have to edit that part out of the podcast so I don't go to jail. All right, you ready, Andrew? You're just going to look around. All right, here we go. Is it up there? So we've got this Disney 360. I love it. You can walk around, and you can be with Goofy, and it's going to take you to different places that are in Disney World. All right, there's Goofy. You following him? You lost him? All right. Now we're on a train. This is the mine train. It just opened up this past year. It's really fun. Yeah, Emma loves it. It's a great one. Now, Andrew, let me ask you this while you're doing this. How is this different from the picture? Well, I'm here. I'm there right now. So he's there. He's there right now. That's what he said. So basically, we've got this picture that reminds us of Disney. We've got this experience that um, it's, it's like we're there. I mean, we're not, but we are. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, Andrew is also taking his family in about two weeks to actually go to Disney. What? Five days. Five days. Thank you. Now, that will be different than this experience, and this experience, he's there. He's looking at it. He's at Disney, but he's not really. But in a couple of days, he will literally be at Disney. All right, we good? Now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got this hope. And my fear is that many times our hope is kind of like this. We have hope or we don't have hope. We see it. We kind of get it. But, but we're not, like, living in hope. It's not like we're really there. We have it. I think it's interesting that we, so many times we say, I've heard so many times, I just live in this state of fear. But we rarely say, I live in this state of hope. Seems like a lot of times hope is something we have. Fear is someplace we live. When... If the, story, if 
the truth behind Advent is really true, shouldn't it kind of be the other way around? Y yeah, we have some fear, but that's not where we live. We live in hope. We, li we live in this, we, we, we see this hope all around us. It's like the budding of the trees. It's like we're there. But we also realize we're not really there, but we're going there in a couple days. We have this hope that is this kingdom of God, which God has promised will happen, but we do not have to wait for it to begin because it is already breaking in now. And we have this hope within us that the world doesn't always see, but as we're looking around, we see things differently. I was at this conference a couple weeks ago, and Glenn Packham was there. Great guy, songwriter, author, blah, blah, blah. But he was talking about how he often goes back to Malaysia, which is where he was born. And he mentioned that when he is flying to Malaysia, he's decided that he is going to live like he's in Malaysia even before he gets there. And so it may be 2 a.m. in the morning, and everybody in his cabin is sleeping, but it's lunchtime in Malaysia. And so he's calling over the stewardess at 2 a.m. and saying, yeah, can I get a grilled cheese sandwich and whatever? He's choosing to live in the time zone to where he is going. Even before he is there, he is living in that time zone. And friends, with hope, that is exactly what God is calling us to do. We are called to live in this hope, in this different time zone of hope that isn't based on here, but it's based on where we are going. And that changes here. I love um, a quote by Barbara uh, Kingsolver says this, the very least one can do in your life is to figure out what you hope for. And the most you can do is to live inside that hope. Not admire it from a distance, but live right in it under its roof. Friends, the story of Advent tells us that we are called to live in this hope today. Amen? So the band's going to come up. We're going to sing one quick chorus and bridge. But... You know, Pastor Matt has been trying to have these, like, so what moments? How does this apply to me today? And so we're going we're gonna to take a minute as they come up, and we're going to do that. Uh, Jen and I were talking the other day about how um, this happened after Paris. And we were talking about how it's, it's amazing how so many people are so devoted to their God, little g. And it really got me thinking, how devoted am I to my God, capital G? Because these radicals are constantly in a state of prayer. They're constantly doing what they believe their God wants them to do. And it's, it's a God that can't save them. It's a God that can't speak to them, that can't help them in times of need. And yet I have this living God that I serve and I really began to be convicted about, am I as obedient and as committed to a God that I know is true 
as some other people in the world that are committed to a God who cannot do anything for them. So what I started doing, you can go ahead and start playing, Deborah. Knock it out. What I started doing was I took my phone and I set four alarms. 8 a.m., 12 noon, 4 p.m., 8 p.m. They go off every day, 24-7. Seven days a week, four times a day, I'm getting an alarm, and it's titled God Time. And I've decided, I decided a couple weeks ago that every time that alarm goes off, if I'm in my office and my Bible's open, I'm just going to take two or three minutes, pull up my Bible, pick up where I left off. If I'm in the car, I'm going to turn off the radio. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. I'm choosing to reorient my life in the time zone of my future hope so that it becomes my hope today. So my challenge to you is this. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds. Would you consider pulling out your phone, setting one, two, three alarms? See, what I found is, even though I have it set for four times a day, it is starting to reorient my entire life. I'll be watching a football game. I'll be going, man, that guy's awesome. If he were a Christian, could you imagine how he could lift Jesus up and he's on a platform that I'll never be on and how he could do amazing things for Jesus. And I'll start praying for this football player on the TV that I don't even know in a game that I don't even care about. Or I'll be at the gas station and I'll see, I'll be pumping my gas and I'll see a lady next to me and she's got a kid in the back car and I start to think, God, be with that woman. I don't know if she's just busy or if she's sitting there thinking, God, please help my credit card to go through because I don't know where I'm going to pay for this gas. And maybe she has a kid in the back seat and I start thinking, God, I pray that you'll be with that father that he'll be the kind of godly example that that child needs. And if that child doesn't have a father, God, would you bring someone in that child's life that becomes this godly father to that kid? Would you be with that mother? Would you help her to be such a beautiful example of a loving God that cares so deeply for his children? And all of a sudden, I'm not pumping gas, but I'm, I'm living in this hope while I'm pumping gas. And so I'm gonna give you about 90 seconds I would encourage you just to take a few seconds and say, God, how often do you want me to set my alarm clock? And maybe you want to title it God Time. And then when those alarms go off, you don't have to make a big deal about it. You might be in the middle of a meeting. Turn the alarm off, and in your mind you're saying a quick prayer. But it's reorienting your life to a different time zone. So we're going to give you about 30 more seconds. And then I'm going to have you stand, and we are going to celebrate this Jesus, this Messiah that has come, this rescue for sinners, this, this Jesus, this Emmanuel, this hope and light of the world. My prayer is that this Advent season, you will truly encounter a hope in a way that you never have, and that you will learn to reorient your life, that I will learn to reorient my life in a way that reflects this amazing love that we have, this amazing hope that we have. God, you are our hope. You are our only hope. 
So whether we are in the valley or the mountain, we trust in you. Whether things are going well or whether we are in the middle of the trial of our life, we choose to reorient our lives to your hope and your kingdom. Teach us how to live day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, in our future reality, because we know that you have already brought your kingdom into this world. May we reorient our lives to that hope today. Amen.